My kid's gonna be good. It's a miracle of overcoming shitty genetics. What the fuck are you doing here? Oh, it's good to see you too. No, I'm serious. Why are you here for a routine body transport? I'm gonna stick around for a while. Oh, fucking knew it. Look at me. I'm not here to take the case away from you. Why are you here? You have protests around the mine. You had a shooting that ended in a fight in the hospital. You got six dead bodies in the local ice rink and a still missing person of interest. You need to get this shit under control. I need to show up. So you can look good for your mayor campaign next year. I'm fucking helping you here, Liz. Besides, you like having me in town. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Listen. Look. Just to get you up to speed. Those men died before they froze. How do you know that? We haven't done forensics. No, because I did a independent pre-forensic evaluation. I don't want to know what that means. Look, I'm treating this like a murder case. You saw the Annie Kotak video I sent you? You keep that on a need-to-know basis. All right? All right, copy. It's good to see you. Wait, you want to... Come in here and take my office too, or oh. can you find yourself someplace no, else? Okay. Yeah, no. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you too. It is I, your host, Lisa Zambetti. This is Killer Casting, and with me to break down episode four of True Detective Night Country. And boy, are we deep in the night country, is my pal, Dean Laffin. Hey, Dean, how's it going? Hey, Lisa, I'm pretty good. We are, as you say, deep into the night country. We're 66.66 repeater percent through this series already. I don't even know what that means. What is that? Well, it, means, it means we're two thirds. We're up to okay. episode four. Don't six, do math. Then. Okay. They didn't say there'd be math. Yeah. I didn't use fractions. I used decimals. And we oh, know God. that Americans are not prone to no, liking anything that. that's not imperial. We're not, we're good, not good, at good at the metric system. So, yeah. All right. Well, no. it just overall hits. Give me your hot takes just overall before we get into it. I think this was the episode where early on, until the end of it, I would have said this is the episode where Issa Lopez totally declares her hand in terms of this being the supernatural episode. But the final scene, now I don't know. So it's like we know what her background is, is magical realism and horror. Mm -hmm. And sort of throughout the first three episodes, it's like, okay, so are they really seeing these people when they have their visions? Is Rose really seeing Travis or is she, as she said to Navarro herself, don't confuse speaking to the spirit world with mental illness? So mm -hmm. is she a little bit crazy? Is it the case that, Navarro's sister, Julia, is she mentally ill? Was her mother mentally ill? Are they mentally ill or are they seeing visions like, you know, like as in shamanistic sort of qualities? I don't or, know. Or are they being slowly poisoned by the same right. something that's making them have a group hallucination or something? Yeah, it's not clear and it could be more than one thing. It, but it, yeah, It remains to be seen and I think she's keeping us guessing on purpose 
accept that. And okay, I'll explore just to jump ahead a little bit in the final scene where Liz finds Navarro at the bottom of the dredge and she's sitting in front of the Christmas tree. She's bleeding from her ears. Mm-hmm. So just like the scientists were at Salal, their eardrums will burst. So Liz is seeing that. So that tells me, I, I assume, that's real. And so even if Navarro is mentally ill instead of being visited by some spirit of some sort, how does how does that account for the fact that her eardrums are ruptured? So I'm sort of back on the sort of camp of it's it's going to be supernatural as much for Issa's background as anything. But mm-hmm. who knows? The other thing that from the big hit takeaway of this is that every time we get a flashback to this William Wheeler character that set off the the sort of schism between the two of them, it's like the more we know about this scene, the less we know. Yeah, because every I time love, every, I love that. every time we see it, it's slightly different, right? Mm-hmm. So they've shot it a different way. So in the first flashback, we see Navarro on the left and Liz on the right of screen as we look at it. But when we went back to it this time, it's the other way around and it's just blocked slightly differently. So it's like which version is true, which is reality. So it depends who's telling the story. And memory changes. Yeah. So I love how they're unveiling this, this mystery within a mystery. They're not telling us straight away what happened in that Wheeler murder-suicide. And we, you and I were expecting that it was a fake suicide, that they had staged it for some reason. But now I'm not sure. Now it's like maybe it was a suicide and it was just a vision of him that Navarro was having, that he was still alive, like a vision of his ghost laughing over. Like, who knows? I mean, it's just mm. really interesting. And I love that we're not learning right away. We will learn what it is. But I love that there could be many parallel memories of what happened. And I just love well, how they're not telling us right away. It's great. It's pissing a lot of people off when you read the comments and even the recaps. It's frustrating people because they can't get a bead on sort of different things. And I think that William Wheeler is real. I think perhaps the body is real of his girlfriend that he's murdered. But this week we see that Navarro has a vision of the murder victim standing up and pointing at her, and then she denies to Liz that she saw anything. Then she sees her sister the same kind of way in a couple of different ways, actually, after she's but died maybe by she suicide. is clairvoyant. Maybe she can, like, I know. like many people in this town, you can see the dead, and it doesn't mean that you're crazy. And it's not necessarily that they're, what do you call it, Malevol- malevolent spirits, but they're just, they want their voices to be heard. They want their mm. justice, or they well, want it's- to keep reaching out. Yeah, it's like Rose told, was it Rose that told Navarro that spirits come for three reasons? Remember that in the last episode? Yeah, and right. I can't remember what they were. It's like one one to be heard, two to be, I don't know, something else, and then three was to take you back with them. So right. it's like, you know, what is the purpose of the spirits? We're not quite sure yet. I love this episode. I could have stayed in this. It was only one hour. I could have stayed in it for three hours easily. And look, there are some aspects of it of it's not really the plot, but how Issa Lopez is moving characters around that I'm, I don't know. But in general, I love the texture of this town. I love the relationships. I'm so into it, much more so than really even the story. And it's like I always say, there's only like five or six stories in the universe. Mm, yeah. There are just multitudes of people and multitudes of complexities within a given person. And that's what I love. And so and we can go through each of the characters and kind of what happens to them in this in this episode but, you know, and we're starting with Liz she's watching that tape of 
Annie Kay over and over again, almost frame by frame, just trying to glean something out of it. And it's such a nice, so she's padding around in the quiet of her house as Leah is asleep. And you see how much she cares about her and how worried she is. I think watching that video of Annie Kay is just making her feel like she's got to protect Leah even more from whatever is out there and keep her away from her, you know, animosity towards the mine and her like poking the bear, so to speak, of (laughs) the mine. So I love this little, this little, what when Leah's asleep and she pads into her room and like, you know, moves her hair to the side and just kind of gazes down at her like, I'm going to protect you whether you want me to or not. It's a tender moment that Liz sort of makes with Leah, but she can't do it when, when they're <laughs> when she's when conscious. conscious yeah, no, it's awake, like yeah. whenever they're awake and talking, it's Liz driving the fractious nature of their relationship almost always. Yeah. But yes, it's, I think this scene makes, clarifies a hundred percent that she's just watched the video of Annie presumably dying. And at this stage, presumably they're still saying was killed by, you know, people against the mine. But in any case, she knows that that leads to violence. And it's clear that I think her animosity towards her stepdaughter reaching out to her um, inupiate heritage, she's just concerned that she's going to end up hurt. And remember, she's already lost one son. So Holden's dead. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, And Jake have presumably died. And we think it appears in a car accident, but So she doesn't want to lose and she doesn't have anything else. Like what is in her life apart from Mm -hmm. her daughter and her work? You know, she's she's got these very shallow sexual relationships with a bunch of people, which, by the way, I read something in a in a recap that I didn't realize until later. I thought it was it allows for a couple of one liners, like when Navarro and Liz go to the house of the geography teacher. Navarro gets to reel off the zinger. Is there anyone in this town you haven't fucked? Now, it's kind of like a chuckle moment, but I don't know what it actually adds, the fact that she's got this sexual thing, unless it's like I think you said last week to, you know, fuck the pain away. Maybe maybe yeah, that's-, that's what I think it is. And just like right. I think that Navarro wants to fight the pain away, like she wants to yeah. kick people's ass to keep her pain away. But Danvers has a different <laughs> motive or which is a different way of doing it so we are on christmas eve which is always Mm. a great a great night to set something because there's Mm -hmm. all kinds of melancholy there's all kinds of expectations by the way is it christmas eve and can it be christmas day 12 hours later if there is no night and there is no day (laughs) it's just one one christmas eve they keep saying it's christmas eve so danvers is driving off and she sees jewels you know, in the street. Now, immediately, Jules is taking off her clothes, and I immediately thought, okay, this has got to be a connection to the scientists. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is also a connection to mental health. I mean, that I have seen people who are really struggling with mental health either putting on way too many clothes when it's absolutely just 115 degrees out, and conversely, having not enough clothing on when it's really cold. So Liz comes upon her, and it's just a great moment where she just takes care of her. She just grabs, she's just takes her, you know, and, mm. and gets her to Won't take no for an answer. Yeah, and she she just gets her to safety. And you see this these this great moment between Danvers and Navarro of gratitude and it's like I've got you, you know, I've got your back on this. I, I love that. It made me didn't make my jaw drop, but I certainly went, wait a minute, that's the first time as uh, Liz has explained to Navarro, you know, what happened and so on. And as Navarro's walking off, she just puts her hand mm-hmm. gently on on Liz's shoulder in, in a very gentle thank you kind of moment as she walks off. And that was the first time I can recall them physically touching 
mm-hmm. since we've met them in, in episode one. So it's Oh, like speaking a- of that, so I didn't mention this before because I don't know why, but I had a feeling when Danvers went to Navarro's house a couple of episodes ago and was kind of going through the cupboard. It's like, yeah. where do you keep the beans? I was like, were they, did they hook up? I mean, was there an intimacy there that, because why would she know where all of her stuff was in her house? I mean, that's that's an intimacy when you've been in somebody's kitchen and you know where they keep their beans and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I no, was definitely. wondering if there was something to that, but I'm not sure. Yeah. And, um, and anyway. Liz, Liz did, yeah, because she actually said to her, oh, have you changed where you put the beans? Mm-hmm. So that was clearly indicating that they were once upon a time intimate enough, you know, to know where their groceries went. And then to Liz says to Navarro, oh, are you still fucking that dog walker minder guy, whatever, or are you back to girls? I think it was in last week's episode. Oh, is that what she said? I missed yeah. that. I completely yeah, yeah, missed yeah. that. Yeah, that's just when then Pete walks in the door and she shushes Navarro and then she tells Pete the story about, about what happened with her and Navarro with William Wheeler. Oh, okay. anyway, I missed that. Completely anyway, missed that. Okay. All right. So here, I'm, I'm, the scene I'm looking at right now is just Jules in the blanket at the police station and that moment that you were speaking of. I just love this actress who plays Jules. I'm going to have to look up her name in a second unless you could look it up really quick. She's just wonderful. Yeah, no, I've, yeah, She's just no, I've got so it right here. available. And the, and the scene, she br- I think that she brings out the best in Kaylee Reese. I mean, their connection. Mm. I mean, that's why I just love this. Episode. I could just watch these relationships forever. I mean, they're just, they've got such just great depth and nuance and history. It's just a really wonderful, just what they've achieved. This isn't going to be like the other places, I promise. Okay? I'm right here in town. I'll come visit you every day. And you can keep yourself home, so you can call me. I'm good. I'll be here tomorrow for Christmas. I'll bring presents and virgin eggnog and $20 cookies. I can do this. You knew that you were gonna stay here, didn't you? You're perfect, okay? No, you're perfect, okay? I love you so much, baby. I love you too. Are you ready? Let's go. The actress's name, by the way, is, I hope I pronounced this correctly, a.k.a. Arca. Niviana. So Arca Niviana. Yeah, she's got a very gentle beauty about her, doesn't she? Yeah. And her suffering is just so, Mm. it just really gets you. This whole, I mean, so many people in this episode, you really get that they're they're suffering, you know, Mm. and they're all dealing with it different ways, but their guts are just really getting punched. Now we have the scene with Connolly. And this is just like two mastered 
actors, like two big bears just brawling with each other in these scenes are just so great. I mean, Christopher Eggleston just sort of harumphing his way around, mm. you know, around the office and just just his whole body, his body posture just cracks me up and how he's put on a few pounds since the last time we've seen him and other things. And I just he carries it and he's just got this fantastic face. I, I mean, mm. he's like at the Mount Rushmore of faces. It's just fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Just the so kind of hawkish looking. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Very distinctive. But I love the the line and the acting by Jodie Foster when she says to him, she says to Ted, the, the guys were dead before they were frozen. He says, How do you know? And she said, Because I, I did an independent pre-forensic evaluation. Now Ted says, I don't even want to know what that is. But the way that she said it, she actually stammers on purpose, on the I of independent and the P of pre-forensic. So she knows that she's got to tell him this, but she knows it's not going to be received well. So it sort of comes out as, oh, I did an independent pre-forensic evaluation. So she's <laughs> nervous about revealing it. And it's, you, I mean, you know, easy to miss, but I thought it was fantastic. So so you get no. more of the backstory between them, between this scene and then the, the later scene at the hotel where he really reveals a lot about how she dealt with the death of her son and her, assuming her husband, yeah. that she's just a mess, but she's also really good at her job. I just loved all of the backstory that came out and and their conflict is just really interesting. And, and just watching that them sort of ha- start to have a love scene, by the way, great socks in that she's got her woolly socks on. Um, I just I just love this sort of this relationship of sort it's sort of desperate in a weird way, but they're connected. I don't know. Yeah. It's just great. Mm. The thing that struck me about this almost sex scene, because I didn't get to it because she got pissed off and left, was uh, he says, come over here, and she climbs up on top of the chair. And I'm like, we've had two sex scenes with these two. They're the most is it they're trying to win the Academy Award for the most uncomfortable sex on furniture or the Emmy. I don't know. It's like, just look, that would not be comfortable. And then, of course, it all goes sideways because he busts her on on how she's dealing with the loss of Holden and. But you do get the sense that he's, I I don't know if he's in on some sort of conspiracy to get this case away from her because it seems like Mm. something is moving in the background to to get this out of there and maybe bury what's going on. (laughs) There was the when when he leaves the office there and she says, fuck you. And he says, fuck you too, as he's leaving the office and closes the door. Later on, after she tasks Pete with doing his, you know, not going home for Christmas Eve, he, they're at the door again and he says, I hate you. She says, I hate you too and closes the door. Mm-hmm. So it's the same kind of scene, one the camera's inside the office, one the camera's outside the office, two different characters but the same sort of thing. And in the scene where he tells Danvers about how he's found this guy, Otis Heiss, who was the local who had You're talking the, about Pete. You're talking about young Pete. Yeah, Pryor. young okay. yeah, young Pete Pryor. When he tells her that he's found a guy that had similar injuries, frozen corneas, ruptured eardrums and whatever. And then Pete is he says, come and have a look at this. And he's got all his papers spread out. And you see, she just pushes him with her hand and doesn't even say, let me see. She just goes, get out of the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like she's so abrupt with him. Yeah. You wonder why she puts up with him. But anyway. 
Mm. It's just a lovely scene between Evangeline and Julia when when she's dropping her off at the lighthouse, yeah. which is the look at the mental health facility, and they're saying goodbye. And I mean, we know that we're never going to see Julia again. We know that this is a, this is a true goodbye scene. They've got this long shot in the hallway of, yep. of Navarro watching her walk away, and you just know, okay, this isn't good. Something terrible is going to happen. Yeah, and considering how worked up Julia was, she's unusually calm. And I, mm-hmm. I, I felt that at the time, but I didn't necessarily see what was coming, but I certainly saw it later on. But it occurred to me too that since Julia's now gone, that the scene that we saw her throw the tray down in Kavik's bar, that's, we're only, that's only going to be in flashback. So we're not going to see what happened, but presumably that was when that's what triggered her to be out on the ice uh, uh, walking in the, on the road when Liz picked her up. But I always thought we'd see what happened in there, what set her off, but we're not going to see that, I don't think so. So what? Is, so since we're talking about Julia, why don't we just sort of finish her arc? So she's in her little room and we see the orange come out. No, I mean, what do you make of this? Because, you know, we're connecting myths or we're connecting psyches because she wasn't there obviously when we first saw the oranges come out you know navarro saw the oranges come out in the backpack of the vigil not vigilante yeah 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 the The rednecks (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, I don't, know, uh, I don't know if they can be rednecks in Alaska because they don't get enough sun. No, no, uh, anyway. vigilantes did they call them? Not what vigilantes, but part of the posse. They're part of yeah, the, the manhunt yeah, posse. Hank's, Hank's posse. Yeah. yeah, they're really. Listen, this is really working. This whole oranges thing, even more than Fargo or the Godfather, for that matter. They're everywhere. There's mm-hmm. oranges rolling. Navarro's throwing them, and they're bouncing back out of the dark. And we've got. Them rolling out from under the bed there, Jules, who then looked. What was that under the bed? I thought for one little second, I thought it was Kavik for a second. I thought it was, <laughs> it was a no. man, like a male no. body under there. No, you think that's the mom? Yeah, that's the mom because she's got the sort of cross, the gold cross, the one that Navarro threw out of the car when she was driving through town in the previous episode. And was that real? Was the necklace in the car real? Because she seems like she's shocked to see it and she throws it out the window. Yeah, you I don't know. know. I, 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 I don't think it's clear. That's, so um, whatever yeah. these spirits are, they, they are very corporal. They are they are mm-hmm. of, yep. of the world. I yes. mean, they can move things and throw things and, and have material things appear. Apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, okay. if... Unless they're unless we're seeing them in a delirium, and this is the thing that we don't know. So, and this anyway. hallucination pushes Julia over the edge. I mean, it's just if she can't be safe here, yeah, from her mind, then she can't be safe anywhere, and she just can't handle it. So she goes out. She goes to that place where Navarro found her the first time, sitting. Which is, is, so I am so confused about the coastline and the topography here. Like, where is the water? Yeah, it's close to the town. So the town is on the water. So but you don't, we've never seen running, we've never seen unfrozen water at all. Ever. I think, I, I think so we've I, seen one. There, I think it might have been in this episode. There's a really high camera shot, like as in 500 feet in the air. And I think you see water in the background. But you've got in the last episode, we did see a whole bunch of trawlers. They were covered in snow and ice, but they were clearly, you know, in the summer they'd be out fishing for salmon or whatever. But I thought they were frozen. I thought, I thought everything. I mean, I haven't seen any running water, so that's why I'm just confused on where, how far she walked, and how the coast guard. If they found her, like, where is the water? And 
I don't know. I'm just very confused about where everything is. You know. Yeah, I mean? yeah. I, I didn't even know they were on the shoreline. Or like I said in the last episode, is it a lake? Is it the ocean? Turns out, I think it's the ocean and the Coast Guard. On that point, by the way. So I'm calling bullshit a little bit on that scene and the writing because okay, Navarro checks Jules into Lighthouse. A couple of hours later, she gets a call from the Coast Guard. So in a couple of hours before Lighthouse even know that Jules is gone, she has gotten out, not driving, walked to wherever that the barge was, undressed, walked out onto the ice and she was in the ocean. Then she's found. Then she's, so she's nude, but she's identified she's and they're identified. calling Navarro in, in an hour and a half. It's like I know. It's a- I had a problem with it too. And also that Navarro gets the call in the car and she doesn't drive to the scene like she doesn't go and meet the coast guard how far could her sister have drifted like all Mm. of that like the physics of it all wasn't making sense and i anyway so for whatever reason the writer decided to send navarro back to the lighthouse to to scream and shout at the staff there instead of sending her to get her sister's body yeah it wasn't quite that wasn't quite fitting for me anyway after this the the next note i have after this is it says is it possible to feel sorry for Hank? Yes, it is. <laughs> so, I yeah, did. I know, right? So there he is. He's got his puppy dog, you know, trust in Alina. He's, he's standing out there with a, what is it, a rabbit or a, something? Like a, a little, some yeah, it's a little bunny toy. rabbit. Welcome to Alaska. Yeah, now, look, so, this isn't for, a surprise to anybody. We all, everybody mm. saw this coming. I don't know why he's surprised. But what also was weird is that, so he's looking at the plane and all these people are coming out and then a woman starts to get out and he looks like, oh, is that her? So wait, has he never seen a picture of her? Like, I don't, like, why would he think that that was her? Mm. Yeah. It was clearly, I mean, it wasn't like a mistaken identification. Like, no. like he could clearly see who that woman was, or he could see her face. He knew that it so why would he be all excited? Like, oh, is this her? I was confused about this. Yeah, yeah I think she appeared to be the hostess or yeah, she's the like cabin serious. crew. So she yeah. told the ground crew, yeah, close up the door, we're taking off, we're out of here. So but yeah, but his his face, uh, when they do a, a close-up, uh, close-up or an, ext- an ECU, extreme close-up, but you can see his face and the acting on his face just without saying a word, the changes in the micro-expression, he's hopeful, he's excited, then he's puzzled, and then he's accepting and he's like, okay. So uh, brilliant work there from John Hawke. I thought but he's fantastic. in such denial. That's why oh, yeah. he's not even like any anger. He's not like, oh, my God, I got to check my bank account. Like, is this person even real? Have I been scammed? Like, he's just completely just whistling along as though nothing has happened. Again, great mm. sweater work in this scene with John Hawke's wearing an amazing looking fawn colored <laughs> turtleneck. It's just <laughs> it's really working. All right. Anyway. All right. Where do you want to go next, boss? You know. Navarro and Danvers are off to see the geology teacher again. And so what is the the key takeaway from this scene is that, you know, he's trying to help them identify where the ice cave could be. And so that's where we make the connection on who the, what do you call a cartographer, that the cartographer, it's all connecting now. I'm finding the character of this guy, the geology teacher, he's another one of Liz's ex-squeezers. So that's why. So they show up so late at the at his house that the wife's already changed into her red mm-hmm. pajamas, satin pajamas, whatever they were. So from, I think it was episode one, even though he's the geology teacher, he's able to give them in episode one a complete rundown on the biology and the ice core mm-hmm. samples, like he works there. And now- okay, he's the geology teacher, but he's not a fucking paleontologist. And he takes one look at this blurry video and says, oh, yeah, that's definitely whales. I'd say that they're prehistoric. 
He's not a paleontologist. He's like going to be the most. I'm okay with that. He's a sciencey person there. I'm okay okay with that. You know, I'm sure that he's fast. You know, if you're going to live there and you're going to be a a geology teacher, you're going to be fascinated by everything that's that's going on. And I don't know. That that didn't bother me. On the way there, though, I did think the scene where Navarro and Liz are talking and Liz gives us a little background on when her mother died. She was at seven at the time and her dad mm. told her to pray. I think she's. it goes towards this embittered character, the nature of her character, where later on as she's talking to Navarro, she's saying, when they, you know, those of us here, we're here by ourselves, we're all alone, but the dead are just fucking dead and blah, 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 because she prayed, you know, till her knees went black on the right. – and she couldn't walk at the funeral because she her knees were so – Saw from praying. And so then, of course, Navarro looks over to smiles and says, Maybe you didn't pray hard enough. And Liz is like, Fuck you. And they laugh. And I thought, eh, There's another little thawing between them there. I like that very much. So. Yeah, for sure. So, what do you make of Navarro goes to have a little Christmas Eve nosh with Rose, who, oh my gosh. So they have dressed Fiona Shaw. Oh, I know. Drop dead, gorgeous, satin, ruby red gown i'm just loving it it just is clinging to her body in all the right places it's so elegant it just shows her as as i don't know she's just this exotic bird in this place i just love it what now what is she the psych the town psychologist i missed it like what was she saying about the meth addicts? I, I missed what she says when navarro first comes in and is like yeah, navarro has sensed that She's she has a different world, right? She comes from a different world. Mm-hmm. And she says, Rose Agnew, that's not even your real name, is it? Like it's a nom de plume. Mm-hmm. And and Rose just completely ignores her, but does tell us that she had a career in academia back, you know, in the real world outside of Alaska. Or I get the sense that she might have been in Boston or New York or somewhere else, but mm-hmm. she just became so jaded of the dry, endless sort of what's it called, a treadmill of, of academia, mm-hmm. that she up and left. And now, she, you know, as we've already seen, she was smoking joints with her hippie boyfriend, Travis, uh, Rust's dad and whatnot. But, yeah, she's just come from a different world. And, I mean, she's got this spread laid out when Navarro arrives, presumably un invited and unknown, she could feed like 20 people. There's an entire Christmas cake. There's knickknacks. Uh, sorry, what do you call them? Little horses, doovers, hors d'oeuvres. There's, you know, there's little, there's all this. You not heard that one before? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's an Aussie an Aussie joke. Horses doobers. I just wasn't um, sure if she was expecting people. I wasn't entirely sure. And is she so. like the town psychiatrist? I'm not exactly sure what she is doing there. I'm. I must have missed it somewhere because. No, I think she's retired. She just, you know, she's oh, okay. just having fun. You know, gutting coyotes or wolves or whatever <laughs> it was we saw in the first one and doing her thing so yeah but she's yeah you're right like she went full nigella lawson yeah exactly for this, you know, for this exactly. christmas eve i think she just did it for her own pleasure you know because she could so anyway hmm. okay uh, okay yeah so and the takeaway i don't even remember what they talked about in the scene to be honest with you but i just i was so like, uh, rose, dress. <laughs> rose finished up by saying that i like it here oh she says i like it here it's much quieter mostly and then she says, except for all the fucking dead. <laughs> now, two things struck me about that. I've never heard the word mostly used like that except by Newt in Aliens. But she says they, they come at night. They mostly come at night. 
mostly. So that I don't I don't know Good whether that's back. that or, or not. But but yeah. Anyway, it's just a little bit of backstory. But I don't know what it serves in terms of the, the story. But as you said, maybe it doesn't matter. It's just filling in a little bit of blank about about the character. But I do want to say that just before we went to this, and when Pete was or when Hank goes back to the station after Alina doesn't turn up for the on the flight, he walks in and in an admission that he knows that things are screwed up. He pours himself, see he's got a mug, like all good cops have got a mug in a drawer so you can drink out of the mug, but it's not a glass. So you can can pour his Jim Bean in it, Mm -hmm. but he's sipping out of a mug and he doesn't see that Peter's there. And there's a weird, a very awkward exchange where Hank is being so nice and he's so chipper and cheerful, but it's forced bonhomie, right? Yeah. And and he's trying to sort of talk himself into being happy. He invites himself over to Peters, who awkwardly says, yeah, yeah, that would be really nice. And then Hank walks off and he's humming. <laughs> you know, he's just, it's just, you go, oh, God, he's not in a good place. Not in a good yeah. place. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right. On we go. Yeah. So, I mean, the only other significant part in the center here is Leah, you know, vandalizing the mine. Mm. I don't know what this is. The mine office. Yeah, it's like the head office. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what this scene really serves, you know. I think it's it's another example of, but I think we've already got the message that Liz is fearful of Leah's involvement in the mine protests and in the whole Inupiaq sort of scene. But yeah, it. It's although it does precipitate Leah leaving the house on Christmas Eve, and we'll get to that, and the fact that it it highlights also the tension between Liz and Kate. Kate says, I, I want, I'm going to press charges. Liz says, fuck off. No, you're not. And Liz, uh, Kate says, you can't do that. And she says, yeah, yeah, you know, stop trying to punish my daughter because when you're trying to punish me and it's not going to work. So, but yeah, it was. It's like you could have cut that scene out and it wouldn't have made any difference. Yeah, I mean, but. we already know how protective she is of Leah. And so Leah is starting to take a step towards being like Annie Kay, you know, being loud and, and going mm. out and being recognized as a troublemaker. And I'm sure that that scares her to death, that scares Liz to death. I did like the, the following scene or the location where Liz brings Leah home. But Leah's had enough. So she's packing and storming out. And Liz is like, oh, you're not going. And then says, oh, okay, fine, go. Like, you know, it's like, I can't stop you. So I'll give you permission, even though you don't need it. She throws away this beautiful. This is what I was going to say. So Leah is picked up by Kayla, Peter's wife. So Mm -hmm. she's going to stay with Peter's wife, Kayla. And that's the one who's got the the old nana, that's Mm -hmm. the old sort of Inupiat nana. So she's feeling, you know, loved over there and no love with Danvers. So she heads off and then she takes off. And then we go to an internal where the camera is right in the foreground is this turkey that's uncooked and Danvers walks in the kitchen. And, of course, we all know where that turkey's going. <laughs> it's like, it's, that's going straight in the bin and, and, we, and we see that. So that was quite funny. And then she pulls out a bottle of vodka from the freezer. And the thing that struck me about this, she's playing this video for the 133rd thousand time on her phone. I'm like, I'm a similar age to Danvers. It's like, Put that thing on a fucking laptop with a 17-inch screen or put it on the telly, you know, via AirPlay or something while you're continuing to look at it through this tiny, the smallest lens in the world. So, so anyway. I think Jodie Foster getting drunk is so hilarious in this. I mean, she's just, she's, you know, she's obsessed with trying to figure out this this mystery and she, but she's drinking and then she's trying to like talk to all these people and they know that she's shit-faced. Yeah.
Hello? Someone cut the power. What are you talking about? Melina, the, the, the hot one, the salal guys, Melina. Okay, I thought it was a glitch in the video, but the power goes out. Are you drunk? Well, it, it's the same in the Annie video. You're gonna see it, that part where the power goes out. It's the same MO in both cases. Why would there be power in an ice cave? <sighs> I guess. That is the right question. Okay, where does that get us? Someone put a generator there. Well. You got Oliver Tacock, the fucking equipment engineer guy. He's got access to the emergency generator. And he was defensive and, and hostile when we went to see him, right? I can hear you thinking. Oh, it's not crazy. I'm gonna come pick you up in five. Hell no, you're not going anywhere. You're wasted. I'm not. I barely drink. Yeah, clearly. All right. You pick me up then. I'm not going to a suspect with my backup armed and shit-faced. Well, you stay where you are, and I'm gonna get Pryor to come pick you up. Liz, I'm gonna give the kid a break. It's Christmas Eve. Pryor's gonna come pick you up in 10 minutes. So the one thing that another podcast I was listening to had an issue with, and so did I, like, why doesn't, I don't know, this whole thing about sending Pete, you know, she keeps testing him. Like, how much mm. can I get you to do for me on Christmas Eve? Can I get you to not go home to your family to do this very random errand that could wait to the morning or, you know, why have him go pick up Navarro? Why, Navarro could just get in her truck and come meet her. I mean, obviously Liz is too shit-faced to drive, but that... Oh, but Liz said, okay, you pick me up. And Eve says, what? I'm going out to to, to be with a, a potentially armed suspect and my backup is shit-faced? I don't think so. So she's like, no fucking way I'm going out with you as my backup when you're pissed. Mm -hmm. So that's... But I think the real reason that Liz did this to Peter on this occasion, although she's always testing him. But remember that Kayla's wife, Peter's wife, Kayla, had just picked up so her daughter. So she's punishing. She's punishing Kayla, not Peter. Yeah. But by denying Kayla Peter, it's a bit of a fuck you to Kayla going, yeah, okay. So that's the way I read it anyway. So. Navarro and Pete go to, what is that guy's name again? I can't remember. Oh, the Oliver Tagak. Yeah, they go they go back to his little shack and he's long gone and it looks like he's been spooked and gone and the all the symbols are there. So yeah, things are just getting weirder and weirder and people are just starting to disappear as we know. And of course, you know, poor Julia has, has died. I think what struck me in this is there's Navarro running all around trying to solve this mystery when her own sister, we know at that very moment is taking her own life. And that, that yeah. I, I just kept feeling that in every scene that Navarro's in. It's like, oh my gosh. When she called her and uh, so Navarro calls her sister and Jules is, we see Jules, it's a, it's an extreme close-up, but we can tell she's outside. Yeah. So she's telling, she's telling Navarro that everything's fine and yeah, the place is cool. And at that point I was like, oh no, here we go. And, and indeed we did. The irony that, yeah, she's out running around and the fact that Navarro believed her, like she's like, oh and yeah, I, she, she thought that. Yeah, she should have been, she would have been able to there. hear. Yeah, she would have been able to hear the wind, but it's fine. Yeah, anyway. um, yeah, yeah. Oh, now, yeah. The next scene was Ted and Liz at, at his motel, but we've covered that. Yeah, yeah. We've covered that already, and then we go from one bed scene to another, where we've got 
Hank standing at the end of his bed with oh. his covered in rose so petals. Pathetic. Like, oh my God. So like, like a tundra version of American Beauty or something. And it's yeah. like, and he's picking them up slowly. But did you notice that he's laid out these flowers on his camo bedspread it's a it's like a hunter's camo bedspread right. he's got the right. flowers on that and then we see we've just come from ted's motel room where he's watching elf mm-hmm. right because it's christmas eve mm-hmm. and then we've got hank then eating a tv dinner by himself watching elf watching elf i love that i love that <laughs> yeah. connection we can just kind of skip along here because we've covered a lot of this already but navarro once she gets the news about her sister She's just the only thing she can think to do is when she sees that asshole that she had collared earlier in the season. She just picks a fight with and gets it's really it's kind of hilarious to watch Kaylee, you know, take on three dudes at the same time. And she pretty much holds her own for quite a while, much yeah. longer than most of us would hold her own. I think in real life, she'd actually do better than Navarro, considering her background. She'd probably drop all three of them. You know, she's a world champion boxer. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, but- and did you catch that moment where she goes? where she had when she first went home for the night and there's a little tree and there's a little gift there and there's a little tube of toothpaste from our yeah yeah it was an it was our man joel as kavik there he dropped off a little battery powered christmas tree which seems to be a theme in this episode but a small one and a wrapped up spongebob firefly toothpaste so yes that was so as guarded as navarro is i mean after she gets the shit kicked out of her by these guys where does she go she goes to kavik's yeah by the way she wanted that to happen right she was as you said before liz looks to fuck away the pain navarro looks to fight away the pain and she wanted to feel that pain she knew she was going to get the shit beat out of her and mm-hmm. she did that anyway because she could have called for backup. She should have done any, could have done anything, but she yeah. chose to do that. And she knew that she was going to get absolutely pasted, which she but did. But when we go into Kavik, he's he's sort of softly napping in his little chair. I couldn't see what book he was reading. I don't know if you noticed. He was no, reading a book and I tried to zoom in and I couldn't quite see what it was. I would really love to know what he reads in his right. in his free time. But this scene between them is absolutely genius. For one thing, she is really messed up. And there's something about the way that Kaylee is acting the scene. It's like she's had these injuries before as a boxer. She has had broken fingers and busted up ribs and almost a concussion. Like you can tell that she's had her bell rung before. Yeah. And so it felt so real and he's like oh my gosh this guy he's like the perfect man i mean he's i know yeah he's like the the world's greatest boyfriend he is the world's greatest boyfriend and what did you make of it when he started to get on his knees i'm like what what is happening here and i guess he just did that to sort of distract her long enough so he could like her fingers were out of joint and so he just he took her hand and was like pretending like he was gonna like propose in order to un jam her fingers i thought that was hilarious yeah what a great Uh, role what a great actor this was a wonderful scene and again i was struck by we've said it before but boy you know carly is just holding her own this is a really fraught and you know you would know more than me but that's an incredibly difficult scene to do and do authentically i would imagine Mm -hmm. you can see the anger and then she's like you know you can see that process where she she's like fuck you and fuck it and fuck and then She keeps repeating that same sort of thing, but she's breaking down doing it. And Mm -hmm. he sees that and he just comes in and he doesn't even give her a bear hug. He just lets, he puts his arms around her shoulders and just lets her rest her head in the middle of his chest. 
It was, I just thought, yeah, yeah it was absolutely it was fantastic. Mm. It was great. And the nice thing is, this is just a cinematographer thing. So when he's, when they're in that clutch and he's holding her, her face is actually turned away from the camera. You just see the back of her head. And so you kind of get to focus on him and him sort of receiving, you know, caring for her. I thought that was a really generous thing to do because normally you would have the lead actress's face towards the camera and be seeing all of her mm -hmm. pain. And so, so I thought it was really interesting that they let let him kind of have the focus. And then the next scene we have Navarro and Danvers and she tells Navarro what happened and just digs up all this, just really digs into her and almost kind of picks a fight with her in a way. Because Danvers is just going to be, is trying to be very unsentimental about her own grief, you know? Oh, she is. And I think that's, I don't even know if she knows that she's doing it. By the way, the book that Kavik was reading is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Get the fuck <laughs> Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Internet Google, sir. Oh I my did God. That Why would he be reading that? that? Okay. What I don't does know. that mean? That must mean uh, something. Uh, yeah, but look, you know, Liz, she's being typical Liz. She's she's all aggressive and up in Eve's face, and we know that. I was just waiting for her to drop it on her. And as one of the recaps said, Liz sort of says, "There are no ghosts. There is no God. There's nothing supernatural." Blah blah blah. And then Liz sets the record for what was it? The world record for the shortest gap between saying something and instantly regretting it. <laughs> because <laughs> because then Eve then Eve says, "My sister." Julia died by suicide last night. So mm. this is such but, a great scene between them. I mean, just huge emotions, huge gut punches, just, uh, and you know, just amazing history between them that just comes forth in this scene. I thought it was fantastic. What I did like about this whole entire episode was that we can now officially call this a Christmas movie because it's returned <laughs> to Christmas Day. So you can join Die Hard and, and all the other ones now as a Christmas movie. So, yeah. All right. So the last scene is really the, the last section of this episode is really spent them going through this amazing sort of set piece of a dredger. I don't even know what a dredger is. I'm not sure. Is it like an icebreaker or what is it? No. So a dredge is it sucks up mud and sand from the harbor and clears like a, a channel and then it dumps it onto a barge and the barge takes it away and dumps it out at sea. So okay. it's a way of keeping a bay or a channel where heavier ships need bigger, like deeper, a deeper room. They need a dredge to dig that out so that they could uh, they can access that port that would otherwise be too shallow to get to. So well, they may as well be on a fucking spaceship because there's just mm. all kinds yeah, no, it was of like aliens. Um, or it, it was it was really bringing that back to me. Just like endless corridors and and ladders and nooks and crannies to and platforms and all kinds of places to go. And as they're trying to chase this figure that turns out not to be the scientist that they thought it was, but it turns mm. out to be the German. Uh, so, Otis. Otis, yes. Yeah, so he's alive and junkied up and she's trying to sort mm. of make heads or tails. Danvers is trying to make heads or tails. At the same time, there is like a ghostly apparition that Navarro sees that she, she I'm feeling, is has got to be Julia. You know? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. It is because as the two of them are making their way and Liz spots, she says, stop Clark, but it turns out to be Otis instead, Otis Heiss. Uh, and she races off and they're heading up the stairs. And as she's walking along, then Navarro hears somebody whisper or hears something whisper quite loudly and ominously says her name, Evangeline, mm -hmm. Evangeline. So she looks down and there's water at the bottom of the stairwell and there's her sister floating face down. You can tell from the hair that it's her. And then she just drifts out of sight. So Eve follows that 
path down that, that stairwell downstairs. So she's just up and left loose, like cold. There's her backup. She was saying, I don't want a drunk person there to back up. But she's just left her and completely abandoned her. So uh, yeah, it was like, what's going on with Eve? That's not, that's what what she would normally do. And she goes down and she finds, what do we get? This time a big ass Christmas tree, this time driven off a, like a car battery or a truck battery. And there's some music playing, but as she walks up to it, the battery runs out and the music sort of winds down like a, like a Calliope that, you know, you wind up and then it's. I mean, I have the screenshot here. I mean, I'm, I'm watching it as you're speaking this part where Navarro, there's a jump scare where Navarro turns and, and I thought that it was supposed to be Julia that is like the ghost apparition. It doesn't really look like her though. I don't know. It's got her. It's got her hair, and she's yeah, got the got, tattoo. Got the tattoo okay. across the. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure it's her. Looks really different. I don't know. That maybe it was a stunt actress, but I guess there's no reason for that. Hmm. Anyway, so yes, yeah, so she sees the ghost of her sister. She sees an apparition, and and then when Danvers comes back, she's in some sort of fugue, and it's it's unclear if this is a permanent, if she's in a permanent yeah. state of shock or not. I mean, well, yeah, good. Yeah. So a couple of things that struck me when. Liz first finds Otis is that he's wearing the pink parka with the happy patch on it, mm-hmm. which now is linked to first to, to Annie, Annie Kay, Kay, then to Clark, and now he's wearing it. And it struck me also when Peter called up the information about this guy was, you know, came to the hospital with these injuries, it was 1998. So that's nearly 25 years ago. So it way predates the the murder of Annie or whatever's happened in the ice cave with her, that was only seven years ago. So the connection is that we see now from her phone camera that she was in some kind of ice cave, the same ones that this guy mapped, Otis mapped. So it something happened to Annie in that ice cave, and I think something happened to him when he was mapping them, but how he escaped with just fried corneas and bleeding eardrums, I don't know. And how long has he been in this dredger? How, you know, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because he's been off the grid. That's what they they said. They couldn't find him. No no credit card, no bank account, no tax returns, no Mm -hmm. nothing. And so here at the end, we've got, yeah, Eve finds, or Eve is found by Liz, as you say, just almost in a trance, but bleeding from her ears. And it's like, Okay. But you know, um, for me, for this episode, like the supernatural aspect of it is fine and it's interesting and it's eerie and everything. But for me, the very, <laughs> the very human relationships, the things that people are going through with each other are for me way more fascinating. Mm. And well, I mean, I well, guess you don't have one without the other because some things are impacted, but I just love seeing this onion being unpeeled with all of these mm. people's guts. Well, one of the things that struck me at the end was that this was an episode where, as you said, characters were more so than plot and story development. But every character, if you, I'm just thinking through the through the various scenes in, in this episode, everyone's alone or deserted, right? So you've got Eve. Eve has just lost Julia. Hank has, you know, in inverted commas, lost Alina. Well, at least, you know, mm-hmm. she's not coming. So they're Christmases. Kayla loses Peter, so he's off on the snow and doesn't come home until stupid o'clock. You've got Ted has been left by Liz, so he's watching Elf in his motel room. Rose is alone. Kavik's alone because Navarro's gone out. So it's like everyone's, instead of being, a, you know, the, the classic thing of Christmas is everyone's together, everyone's in fucking all over the shop. They're all spread everywhere, both emotionally Well, the and only physically. people who had a nice Christmas were, was Leah and the grandma and, yes, Kayla. and Kayla. You know, they had a nice little 
little time making bread and stuff. But yeah, I feel like everybody is sort of spiritually alone. Everybody is yes. feeling alone and getting their gut kicked in this in this episode. It's a real yeah, it's a real yeah, it just they just went straight for the heart in in this episode, mm. which I love that. That's the terrain, that's the territory well, that I just love the most. We finally though, we did get finally the series name being mentioned. We finally got an utterance of Night Country when Otis says to Liz, she says, where's Clark? And Otis says, he's gone down to hide or something. And she says, where? And he says, in the Night Country. We're all in the Night Country now. Now, a fan theory is that throughout this, there have been different dimensions and that when people are having these visions that maybe they've slipped through to a different dimension. And mm. we see in here that we've got the circle drawing from episode one, the spiral. Mm -hmm. One of the theories is that this is a portal through which you travel mm. into this other dimension, which is linked to the king in yellow and all oh, that wow. kind of thing. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I would, that's a, a deep rabbit hole. I'm not going to go down yet, but there you go. That that would make sense because some people certainly have stepped through portals. You can, I mean, when Navarro, you know, hits her head and she wakes up on the other side, this other portal. It is interesting. She doesn't mention that to Liz. She doesn't mention, I think I saw your son on the other side. Or no, And there's, uh, we skipped over it because it was a short scene, but when Liz is driving, she crashes into a snowbank because she nearly runs into a big ass version of the polar bear that's missing the one eye. So, mm -hmm. okay, yes, it appears from the toy that she kept that belonged to Holden. Was the toy damaged? Did it lose its eye in the accident? Presu mm -hmm. It's a, presumably a car accident. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too was, was Leah in the car with, with her father and, and with Holden when the car crash happened and she survived and they didn't. So I don't know if we'll ever find out. It feels out about like that. that's what happened because based on their her reaction when they were had that near miss, I think yep. in episode one with the with the drunk driver. Anyway, yep. all will be revealed. I'm into it. I could watch this for many, many more hours than they're gonna give us, which is gonna be very, very sad. And you know, I know that I I hope that they tie up all these loose ends because you know, we always hate that when somebody takes you down a road and then has no intention of, you know. Of, I think I, I think we might get a little bit of that though, because I think this is that way inclined, but hopefully the big picture stuff will get mopped up. But in any case, I'm having just a great time exploring the deep dark night country of Ennis, Alaska. And thanks for going along with me on this journey, Dean. Yeah, and hey, I want to give a shout out as usual to oh, and the music. Uh, the we didn't mention the music. There was a couple of bangers yeah. in this. Yeah, there's some really uh, great. The one where where it was another Billie Eilish song. So when Jules walks off, it's to another Billie Eilish song called "Everybody Dies." Mm. And I don't know if you watch the credits, but the credits we go out to a, a, a cover of "Twist and Shout." Yes, it's, yes, yeah. a very somber one at that. Yeah. So I just want to give a shout out to the recappers as usual. So that's Rolling Stone, Vulture, Esquire, and Collider. So thank you for you guys, you recappers there. I've pinched a little bit of your stuff into this podcast, and I'll put those links in the show notes. So, yes. Great. All right. Two more well, to go. All right. We will see you next time. For now, this is Killer Casting signing off. Killer Casting is a concept created by her, Lisa Zambetti. It is produced by me, Dean Laffin. 
Logo art by my beautiful wife, April Laffin. And our theme music, We Are Beautiful, comes from them. That would be Hollywood Legends, Amphibious Zoo Music. Until next time, Killer Casting out. Listener.